that's an exciting video to see that we have an opportunity to be a part of uh, world missions. And uh, as a former youth minister, the one thing that I caught in there is 95% of the people have a cell phone. So every teenager is going to ask their mother, I say, yeah, I need a cell phone. I need a cell phone. So, um, folks, uh, I'm so glad to be here. I'm grateful for everybody's uh, hospitality. We have a great team here. I want to say thank you to all of our pastors, Pastor Michael, Ron, uh, Pastor Zach, uh, my buddy Nathan, Pastor Nathan, uh, Orel. I'm fully pastorized, you know. These, they have been tremendous hosts, and um, I just really appreciate them and all that they do. We have a great team here at First at Riverview Baptist. Um, my name is John Bailey, and this is the first time I have an opportunity to preach, and uh, I'm so grateful for that opportunity. I know what's going on in your mind. I've been there before. I know everybody's thinking, okay, uh, does John really know how to preach, okay? Uh, what, we, what you don't know in my mind is I'm thinking, do these people know a good sermon when they hear one? <laughs> so... Um, Today we're going to talk about a favorite subject of mine, God's grace, God's loving kindness. Um, We are going to talk about um, a Bible character that um, a buddy of mine said, oh yes, uh, that's just my favorite story about grace in the whole Bible. And I kind of chuckled because, you know, Jesus had a lot to do with grace in the New Testament. But this story, loving kindness, God's grace is amazing. It's amazing. If you have your Bibles, and if you would, join me. Could you stand? And let's read uh, 2 Samuel 9, and uh, there's 13 verses. Let's see if we can get through that, if you would. Starting in verse 1, David asked, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's house household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba, your servant? He replied. The king asked, Is there no one left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? There's our theme word, kindness. Ziba answered the king, There's still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? Uh, The king asked. Ziba answered, He is in the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought before uh, from Lobiar, uh, Lodabar to the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid. Listen to this verse. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is, a serv- is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? The king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will also eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Verse 11, Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. 
So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. Father, this is your word. I pray that you'll make it clear and open our minds and hearts, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may have a seat. I don't know about you, but, I, you know, we've all experienced sometime, maybe, you can identify, when you were frightened, scared, but it turned out to be almost the most amazing gift you've ever been given. You've been afraid, but it turned out to be an amazing kindness, amazing blessing. Uh, it happened to me. I was an 11-year-old kid. I grew up in Memphis, just like Spencer. We bonded over that. Uh, I grew up in Memphis, and uh, in my house, we are uh, four boy, uh, three boys and one girl, and we always had a ball in the yard. We were always playing. It depended on the season. We just had you know, football, basketball, baseball. We had a wiffle ball. We had a golf ball. We had a tennis ball. Well, the dog played with the tennis ball, but, but we, we were always playing in the yard, playing with the ball. One of the, one of the days that I'm uh, remembering is we were outside playing, and down the street came the largest black car I had ever seen. It was like a limousine car, black, driving fast, stopped right in front of our house. And out of the car stepped the senior pastor of our church, well into his 70s. Been at the church for, uh, this was his fourth decade. Scared the living daylights out of me. I thought to myself, oh my goodness, my brother James must have done something terrible, you know? It turned out that he was here to see me. And I was going, oh my goodness. You see, by the age 11, I had not made a profession of faith yet. And I'm sure, just like a lot of churches, you know, back at the church office, they had my picture up like a wanted poster, you know, 11-year-old, you know, needs a profession of faith. Well, Dr. Caudill came to my house. We went inside, sat down on the chair. He sat in the couch. He put me on the hot seat there. And he laid out the most beautiful story about the gospel that I had ever heard. And it was that day that I said, yes, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I want my sins forgiven. I want to begin that relationship with Jesus. And uh, that was the day that I prayed to receive Christ. It was a scary thing at first, but it turned out to be an amazing blessing. That is the story that we're dealing with today, the story of Mephibosheth. Now, um, I think before we really get into this, uh, we gotta, let's set the stage, okay? We need three characters to set the stage for this story. The first character is King Saul, the first king of Israel. Now, he's cast a long shadow on our story. Um, he, um, he was known as a mighty warrior, and he was also a man that had um, a divided mind. Sometimes he had ups, sometimes he had downs. His moodiness created a lot of problems for the country. In fact, by the end of his reign, God uh, had lost favor with, uh, or rather solid lost favor with God as far as the king would go. But that's the first character. The second character is David. David comes into the story because Saul was such a moody person, the only way that he could be calmed was to have music played. 
and David was a wonderful musician. But the trouble was, is David also uh, was a mighty warrior. And uh, it wasn't long after that before David had his battle with Goliath and won and suddenly became famous. Saul may have killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands. And now Saul became very jealous. I think it's in 1 Samuel 8. The Bible says that Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Uh, I always laugh at that because I I used to uh, work out at the YMCA in in Nashville. And uh, we had a workout area in the middle. And around the workout area was a track that you would jog. And you would jog, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you would jog clockwise. And the other days, you would jog counterclockwise. I can remember being there on a Monday, clockwise day, and we're all working out. And around the track comes a guy going the wrong way. (laughs) Instead of clockwise, he was going counterclockwise. And every one of us guys are looking up at him and staring at him like, what is up with this guy? You know, what what is his problem? That is the picture that Saul had for, what is his problem? I've got to keep my, he's doing something wrong. Now, with that tension building, we come to Jonathan, the third character. Jonathan is the son of Saul, but, a, but he's also the best friend of David. Now, Jonathan is between a rock and a hard place because he wants to honor the love of his father, but he realizes that his father doesn't like his best friend. And it must have been difficult as they talked back and forth. They were concerned for each other. And the Bible says uh, in um, 1 Samuel 20, um, they sat down and they made a vow. Jonathan says to David, I will do my best to tell you when and if my father is going to pursue you to hurt you. And David said, Jonathan, you're my friend. I'm going to vow to you that I will do whatever it takes, no matter when it is, what it is, to honor the relationship that we have by keeping your family safe. That was the vow that they made. They hugged each other, kissed each other, and sadly, that was the last time that they saw each other. Now we get to our story here, and by the time we get to this story, uh, King Saul is dead. He fell by his own sword at a little out of the place called Mount Gilboa. And Jonathan was killed in the same battle. And so now we have David who is fulfilling his promise, his vow. It is so important for him. He's looking to extend kindness. Some versions say God's kindness. Uh, The Hebrew word is um, uh, hesed. You have to have a lot of phlegm. Hesed. It's it's a grace, mercy. And um, David was determined to extend that grace to anybody in Saul's household. And lo and behold... He brings the servant in, Ziba. Ziba says, wait a minute, I know that there's one. His name is Mephibosheth, and he lives in a little out-of-the-way place with Makir. Uh, the place is called Lo-Debar, which is a, a Greek word. It, uh, it's, two Greek, uh, it's two Hebrew words, Lo and Debar. It means no place. <laughs> he went to go hide in no place. Now, I live in Roach. I thought Roach was bad, okay? But... Uh, maybe the Lodabar Chamber of Commerce moved to Roach and named the city. But I, anyway, uh, Lodabar, no place. And that's where he is. And the Bible says that uh, they went to go and get Mephibosheth to bring him. Saul was um, uh, out of the picture. Jonathan's out of the picture. It's only David 
and Mephibosheth now. Now, in order to explain Mephibosheth, we got to answer a few questions, you know. Who is Mephibosheth? Uh, what is Mephibosheth? And where is he? So first of all, it's simple. We know that Mephibosheth was the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan. And what is Mephibosheth? The Bible says that he was crippled, verse four, uh, 3, he was crippled in both feet. Uh, the Bible says that when he was in the palace with uh, his, uh, his grandfather and his father, uh, they were afraid that David would attack the palace, so they scooped up a young baby, Mephibosheth, went running, and the nurse dropped him, crippling both feet for life. He was lame. The Bible says he was crippled in both feet. But where he is is where I want to stop just for a minute. Let's go back to Lodabar again. You know, he went to go hide in the very corner of the Middle Eastern desert where no one could find him. Uh, a place uh, out of the way, a no place where he could hide. If I was a friend of Mephibosheth, I would have said, hey, look, what are you running for? I mean, you're, you're afraid to be captured by the king, but you're hiding out and you're tortured by your own fear. Why don't you just choose and get it over with? And I'm sure that Mephibosheth is like all of us. We try to rationalize where we are. You know, it's, it's not so bad in Lodabar. It's not so bad at this point in my life. I mean, uh, you know, it's a desert. It's hot, but um, it's dry heat. It's not humidity, you know. There's a breeze outside. Nobody bothers us. Folks, we can all get into our little comfort zone and settle because we have this fear of the unknown. You know, we, we, we settle for where we are and we worry about change impacting our family, um, our, our career, our reputation, our retirement. Um, sometimes we just, we just want to settle in and make do with what we have rather than explore the unknown that God might have for us. That's where we are in this story. That's where Mephibosheth is, uh, hiding out, afraid, and worried about what would happen to him. You see, he was worried because regime change was kind of a bloody business back then. You know, If you didn't hand the crown to your son, then the new guy would come in and just wipe out everybody, just kill everybody, take care of anybody that might rebel against him. Well, Mephibosheth didn't want that. He wanted to hide out. And that's where we have him here, hiding out. If you were to, to look at these verses um, in 5, 6, and 7, you can, see that, um, you can see that Mephibosheth was just waiting. I can imagine him at the compound there in Lodabar. He's looking out the window and, you know, he's thinking, is this going to be the day when they come to wipe me out? Is this going to be the day when, when the king's soldier finds me and I'm done? Uh, and then he, he may have heard a servant out at the compound say, hey, there's, there's chariots coming. And it got his attention. He goes, oh, wait a minute. Is this the day? Oh, it's probably a trading caravan coming through. It'll be okay. And then another announcement. Oh, it's the king's chariots. The king's men are here. And I can just imagine Mephibosheth just um, crawling on his arms, 
you know, finding a place, an inner room, underneath a table, heart beating, beads of sweat. Is this the day when, when I'm going to be done in? I'm going to be wiped out. And then the door opens and there's the king's soldier saying, I'm looking for Mephibosheth. He slides out. Here I am. They take him. They put him in a chariot. He's on his way to Jerusalem. The whole time on the trip, he's got to be thinking, maybe I should have done what King Saul did, my grandfather, and fall on the sword. Why, why do I have to go through this? And then he gets to Jerusalem, and I'm sure there were tons of people in the throne room. David's up on a chair on a throne. And then in comes Mephibosheth, and everybody's quiet. And Mephibosheth drags himself up to the throne room. And David looks at him, says, are you Mephibosheth? He says, I'm your servant. And then the best news that he's ever heard in his life. Look at it again in verse 7. Do not be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness. There's our theme word again. Loving kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all that the land all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. It's almost like Mephibosheth thought it was a joke. Now they're trying to be cruel to me. Is this a joke? Surely you wouldn't notice me, your servant, I, I, like a dead dog. You know, whenever I see dog, I think, didn't they invent dogs in like the Middle Ages? But they were dogs in the Bible times, and they were the filthy, lowest animal. Mephibosheth said, why do you care about me? I'm nobody. But God's grace, the king's grace, made a difference in his life. Later on, you can see that, um, well, just look at the term in verse 7. You will always eat at my table. That's mentioned uh, not only in 7, but in verse 10, in verse 11, and again in verse 13. You can see that God's grace meant that he would be restored everything. I mean, not only, not only well, everything that, that his grandfather Saul had, including the servants. The servants were going to farm the land. The servants were going to take care of him. Mephibosheth was a man of means now. And if you wanted a picture of what really grace looks like, just think about the banquet table. And Mephibosheth dragging himself to the table, sitting in a chair, swinging his crippled feet underneath the table and eating. Not once like Thanksgiving with family or a family picnic every couple of years at a reunion. Every meal, God's grace, every meal for Mephibosheth. And he was taken care of in an amazing, amazing way. That's the story of grace in here. You can see that all the way down to verse 13, when you see that, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he was always eating at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. We started out lame and we ended the story lame. We'll talk about that in a minute. But... The story of Mephibosheth is probably, um, it may not be familiar to you. And when it comes down to the Bible characters, 
there, there are several people that are in the Hall of Fame. I mean, you have Noah, Moses, uh, Paul. I'm sure that they all hang their robes in the Bible Hall of Fame. But Mephibosheth does too. We may not know him. He may not have one of those songs. You know, Chris Tomlin probably couldn't rhyme Mephibosheth with something. <laughs> but, uh, but his message is in our scriptures for a reason. And I thought uh, about this, and I feel like that we, we can look at this story in three different ways. If you ask me, why do we have this story of Mephibosheth? Then I would tell you, look at these three reasons. It's a story. Number one, it's a story for those who are in hiding, those who are bunkered in. You see, so many of us think that we have a God that is ready to pursue us. He's a bounty hunter. You know, he's looking for us, and he's ready to snatch us up and uh, get paid, and we go to jail. You know, we think that that's how God relates to us. But in this particular story, we see that the king is pursuing Mephibosheth not to harm him, but to help. That's the picture that goes throughout our scripture. God is pursuing us and wanting to help us. It culminates in the story of who Jesus is. Our Lord and Savior Christ died on the cross for our sins so that we might have the grace that is amazing. Uh, first, uh, John, first chapter of John says, To as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God. God is ready to adopt us. Think about that. We're going to be a part of his family, adopted in his family. And we get a chance to sit at his table every meal and experience the feast of the king. God, that's good news, folks. That is how this picture fits in to God's overall plan for our lives. It's in his scripture. God cares about us and is pursuing us. Step down from heaven so that we might experience this grace. So it's a matter of us. How are we going to receive that? How are we going to receive that? Are we going to be willing to say, you know what? Maybe, maybe I need to experience that and, and overcome my fear and put my trust and faith in Christ. That is what God wants from us. For us to sit at the table and feast along with the king. I praise the Lord that we can, that we can be adopted into his family. Maybe the, uh, the second reason, if you will, is it's a story for those who are broken. Uh, those who are broken. You know, I pointed out just a second ago that the story begins that Mephibosheth was crippled, was lame, and it ends with Mephibosheth was crippled. You know, I looked at verse 13 and I kept thinking, gosh, can't we do better? You know, he just got to be able to be adopted. Uh, he's part of this uh, glorious, uh, you know, king's family, but he's still crippled. Couldn't we change that in some way? Now, it wasn't until recently that uh, I did a little bit more study here. And if you were to look at the two times that it's mentioned in here about being crippled in both feet, verse 3 and verse 13, there are two different words here. And uh, the Hebrew makes a distinction. The first word 
A Hebrew word means he was crippled in body and in soul. He was crippled in body and in soul. Hebrew word, uh, now here, now here. And uh, the second part, the second time he's talked about being crippled, the Hebrew word is uh, Pasaich, Pasaic. And uh, that word says it's only used as crippled in body. So did you hear the distinction? You see, sometimes when God ministers us with his loving kindness, that's what we need the most. And uh, sometimes what we, what we think we want is really what we experience is, is our needs are met. That's what God's grace is all about. The only way that I can describe this is just to give you a story about my, my parents, my, my dad. I, I'll throw you a curve. <laughs> my parents are, uh, are in heaven now, but when living, they were both deaf. I have a deaf mother and a deaf father. Um, my mother was born deaf, uh, poor Mississippi girl. <laughs> my father had spinal meningitis at the age of five, 1930. He was lucky to be alive, but he lost his hearing. So uh, growing up with deaf parents, you have challenges a lot of times, but this was way later on. My dad was maybe 70, 75 years old. We were in, at the house watching TV. Yes, we watched TV. I mean, he's deaf, but we had the closed caption thing running the whole time. So he's watching and reading, and I'm watching and listening. Well, we had a news program come on, and it talked about a medical breakthrough called a, an inner ear transplant, a cochlear implant. And I looked at that and I thought, wow, that's, a, that's really cool. And I turned to my dad. I said, how about that, dad? How about that? How about we get you, we, you know, we can scrap up a couple of dollars and get you uh, a, a cochlear implant. Well, he, you know, twisted his face up like he always did. And he looked at me, he goes, what for? There's nothing wrong with me. And I remember I sat down and I thought, all right then, all right. You know, I'm not saying that my, that my father's a spiritual giant, but what I am telling you is that my father did what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to work hard. You're supposed to raise your family. You're supposed to go to church, and you're supposed to do your best. And after 70 years of being completely without hearing, there was nothing wrong with him. I think I began to walk away and think, you know, a lot of times we need to be content with what we have and not with what we don't have. And that, I think, is the story here. A broken person that began crippled and ended crippled, but set free, content. This is what Paul talked about in Philippians 4, about I've learned how to be content. I've learned how to live my life with what God has given me and not worry about my wants. God, God's loving kindness can be for those who are broken. But maybe one more, uh, if, you were to, if you were to look at this, there are some of us that are, uh, it, it's a story for those that are battered and beaten down by, by life. You know, a lot of us live our lives and, you know, sometimes we're up and sometimes we're down. Um, there are times when we haven't been able to overcome what life has given our way. Maybe your dreams haven't happened. Uh, Maybe you're dealing with, uh, you know, persecution that's out there in the world. What this, what this verse says is that you can be blessed as well. In your life, God's loving kindness can help you. 
I was, uh, I help with uh, the middle school boys. I, I work in the student ministry area with Nathan. And uh, I told my guys, I heard this youth evangelist tell the story, and it really speak, it speaks to this situation I'm talking about. Um, there was a little known actor in Hollywood named Mark Hamill. And he starred in a tremendously huge hit called Star Wars. And uh, it was unexpected, and he became an immediate superstar. And uh, right after the movie, he signed a deal to be on a TV program, and he was delighted to be in the sequel to Star Wars. And the story goes, the legend goes, is that um, a week before filming, uh, Mark Hamill was in a, a terrible car accident. Broke his nose, scarred up his face. He was a mess. And the TV program said, well, gosh, uh, we can't have a beaten up movie star here on our, on our show. So they canceled his contract. So then it went to the Star Wars set and George Lucas looked at him and went, hey, wait a minute. My baby face hero now is beaten up a little bit. He's kind of scarred a little bit. And what he did is, is he went to his script and he changed the story. Instead of the, uh, back, the Empire Strikes Back being on the jungle planet, he put it on the ice planet. And his face was covered up because it was real cold. And then the big snow monster comes in and hits him. And, and then he's beaten and scarred. And now his hero has been through tough times. And he can be an even better hero in the story. So... Uh, a tale of two cities there. You know, sometimes life can beat you up or sometimes there's a better story to be written. And that's how God treats us. There's a better story to be written. For those of us who have been battling uphill, uh, facing persecution, battered by life, there's a better story out there for us. That loving kindness of God can write a better story for us. God gives us not necessarily everything that we want, but he gives us our needs. And most of all, he adopts us into his family. And that's a story that Mephibosheth can tell time and time again. I hope that story makes sense to you. When you look at the story of Mephibosheth, it may not be a famous person. There, there are already enough famous people in the world. But it's an everyday person like you and me. An everyday person like you and me who was willing to step out from his fear and receive God's loving kindness and experience a better story. Next time you slip your crippled feet underneath your family table for dinner, remember the story of Mephibosheth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Father, sometimes we take those things for granted. Sometimes we take those things for granted because maybe we're just trying to do life. But I pray, Father, that you'll help us to realize you're pursuing us because you love us. That loving kindness is what makes life worth living. I pray, Father, that you'll help us live for you each day. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing Jesus Paid It All.